You're listening to the Magic Media Podcast, bringing you the latest news, stories, and insights about the ever-growing gaming, tech, and entertainment industry. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the magic. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Magic Media Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Farrell, and I have another exciting and action-packed episode for you. I'll be speaking with my guest Matthew Huisman, who's the founder and CEO of Cyrex, the award-winning native cybersecurity experts and ethical hackers, who offer comprehensive manual penetration testing for games and non-gaming applications. But first, here's the latest stories and news in the industry. Good news for Xbox gamers as Xbox Cloud Streaming will add mouse and keyboard support to its streaming service. The eagerly awaited feature was unveiled by Xbox software engineer Morgan Brown at a recent talk for developers. Brown described during the presentation how the Xbox Cloud Gaming team intends to lower latency and help developers optimize the quality and visuals of their games for streaming. He made it clear that developers should begin working on including mouse and keyboard compatibility for Xbox Cloud Gaming. No details as to when the feature will arrive, though the encouragement of developers to add keyboard and mouse support to their games indicates that it will come soon. In our next story, Square Enix officially announced the next chapter of the Final Fantasy VII Remake Saga during its Final Fantasy VII 25th Anniversary Celebration stream. The game is titled Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, and it will launch as a PS5 exclusive next winter. Creator director Tetsuya Nomura recently said Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is being designed so that people can enjoy this game whether they know the original game or not. In fact, new players might even enjoy their Final Fantasy VII journey with Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Cloud and his friends embark on a new journey in this game, and I believe that the scenes that they witness after leaving Midgar will give players a fresh new experience. Square Enix also revealed that Rebirth is the second game in a planned trilogy. Previously, it was unclear exactly how many games would comprise the remake story. Square Enix also announced a remake of Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII, titled Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion. That game will be available this winter on PS5, PS4, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and Steam. Wrapping up our final story for this section, No Man's Sky creator Hello Games has teamed up with Bandai Namco to bring its hit survival title to the Nintendo Switch. We knew from a Nintendo Direct that aired earlier this year that game was coming to a portable console and now a release date has officially been announced. Fans all over the world can pick up either a physical or digital copy of the game on October 7th. In addition to the Nintendo console launch, PlayStation 5 owners will be able to buy a physical remaster edition on the same date. The remaster will come with all the previously released content included, which when tallied up means new gen PlayStation owners will have access to 20 different updates in total. Well, that's all we have time for in our news section, but don't worry, we'll be keeping you all up to date on our social media accounts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram so you don't miss out. Up next, I'll be joined by our guest Matt, who will be speaking to me about all things hacking and cybersecurity. Hi Matt, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on the newest episode of the Magic Media Podcast. Starting off, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and Cyrix? Hi Josh, thank you very much for having me as well. It's a pleasure being here. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm uh, the CEO and co-founder of Cyrex. Uh, we're a native cybersecurity company that is specialized in penetration testing, load testing, and software development with a very strong focus on the online gaming industry, where we work on a variety of online multiplayer games, ranging from MMORPGs to first-person shooter games. In addition, we also have a very strong presence in the blockchain space, where we work on a variety of decentralized applications and smart contracts. 
Very cool. Very cool. Um, so we'll dive right into the questions here now. Um, and this is something that's been thrown around with. I'm sure that many uh, people that know about Cyrex, they see it um, on the website. But to those who are unsure what the term means, what exactly is an ethical hacker? Right. That's a good question. And I'll try to be as thoughtful and careful with the definition here. So <laughs> an ethical hacker is, is pretty much... Uh, an actor that tries to identify cyber or IT-related security flaws within IT infrastructure and or applications or pretty much software in general with the aim of performing a responsible disclosure to the owner of the asset that was tested, being it an organization, a company, or, or, or it could be an individual as well. So long story short, uh, an ethical hacker is basically a hacker with good intentions and more importantly, that respects a certain protocol when it comes to responsible disclosure. Wow. Okay. And so, what would be the ad, um, like the the different advantages and disadvantages of ethical hacking? Right. So, look, we, we've been doing ethical hacking, or specifically uh, conducting penetration testing for over ten years now, and. The value that these tests have brought to our partners, development teams, and again, the overall security maturity of their products, mm. it has been so significant that each time that we test a product, it always makes us think like, imagine that they didn't do the security test, right? Imagine yeah. that their product was launched in the state that is that it was prior to the testing. I mean, the consequences could have been so destructive really impacting the end users, the business, the reputation, and at the end of the day, also the revenue streams. So mm. I would say I don't believe there's really a disadvantage to ethical hacking or, or specifically penetration testing uh, when, it, when it comes to, uh, well, kind of ensuring the quality of your product. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, thank you for clearing that up. Um, and so for online video games, like, you know, you know, nowadays everyone's playing games online, like, you know, Fortnite and all that kind of stuff, like they're extremely popular. So it raised the question, why is it so important for online video games to have security? Right. Okay. Yeah, I think I think we need to have, have a look at the gaming landscape. And I mean, it has changed quite a bit over the years. I mean, online games, they, they continue to evolve both in terms of technology, but also conceptually. I mean, the models are very different now and are very much focused on competitive gaming where the financial aspect has become a lot more present and visible within those different game titles. And mm -hmm. I think yeah. the best example as of today uh, would be play-to-earn gaming, for instance, uh, where blockchain technologies are being leveraged, where we're talking about NFTs, for instance, and in these type of gaming titles, I mean, there's a direct relation to revenue streams. Hence, fair play is super important here. And having the proper security controls in place, I mean, it's, it's just mandatory to enforce integrity, availability, and confidentiality. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, it's, it's not only about the financial aspect. I mean, from a gamer point of view, it makes no sense to play a game that is being destroyed by hackers. I mean, there's no, there's literally no point in continuing the game grind if you know there are hackers that are achieving the same goals in one week while it would take you as a regular player a year, for instance. Like, it really destroys the purpose of playing the game. Oh, uh, definitely, definitely. And, like, 
yeah it just the overall experience is ruined and and like the reputation of the company as well um that it kind of shows that oh they're they, they're easily hacked um they're a big target for hackers and they don't have security for it so why should we trust this company and why should we buy their games exactly yeah yeah and um and in in your history what have you found to be like the most common or like the most popular hack that game studios are still like, suffering from and still facing today yeah, that's a, that's a tough question uh, because because there's a lot going on here. I think in general, uh, there's there's a lot of overlap in terms of features between the different games that are out there. Mm-hmm. But the way things have been developed, so the nature of the code is in almost all cases custom. Meaning, in game A, for instance, where you have feature A, um, there there could be a vulnerability in that feature. While in game B, for that same feature. Mm-hmm. There is no vulnerability because the implementation from a code perspective was very different. And in this case, they were respecting the proper security controls. So I think that said, if we really have to focus on the most common, let's call them cybersecurity pitfalls, then I believe anything in regards to access controls and business logic flaws, these are definitely the most common type of vulnerabilities that we encounter. So Access control flaws are anything in regards to permissions where the proper permissions need to be validated for that specific player, while business logic flaws, as the word itself says, it's a flaw in the business logic, Mm -hmm. which kind of means that the intended logic does not equal the actual implementation, in which depending on the case, you as a hacker, for instance, you can abuse this type of business logic flaw and get a certain advantage over other players because you're, for instance, able to skip a certain step in the process where others need to go through. Uh, I think in addition to that, um, if we're looking at more complex features uh, such as clan systems or what we call them uh, guilds, um, there are a lot of different permissions in there. I mean, you have a group leader, you have a sergeant, a lieutenant, a regular soldier, for instance. And all these roles, they, ha- they should have specific privileges. And more importantly, a soldier, for instance, should not be able to perform actions that a group leader can do, right? Mm-hmm. So, for instance, kicking someone from the clan is in most cases something that would only be available to a group leader. And yet, we see that very often these type of checks are being forgotten on the server side, meaning I, as a regular soldier, I would be able to perform that kicking feature while normally only the group leader would be able to do that. And I think one of the biggest issues in the gaming is that whenever a certain user interface is not visible to a player, developers forget to also validate this specific feature on the server side, whether or not you should be allowed to perform that certain action. And I think to make things more concrete here, uh, an example would be Let's say that um, there's a functionality uh, that is only visible to moderators in the game. Mm-hmm. And this functionality is not visible on the client, on, on the game itself, to regular players. Let's say there's a button to spawn a monster or an NPC in the game. Now, while that button is not visible to a regular player on the client side, that functionality still very much exists within the game binary and it can be found in the client side source code, uh, the code, basically the code of the game executable. Meaning if we are able as a regular player or a malicious actor in this case to find that 
particular functionality, craft the correct network packet to perform this action, well, then we basically can also spawn an NPC in the game as a regular player. Of course, at least if there are no proper validation uh, being done on the server side, checking whether or not I'm entitled to do this or basically whether or not I'm a moderator. Okay, okay. And now that you've spotlighted these problems, like, would you be able to talk about the tools of the trade? What are the most common hacking tools hackers use that you know of? And that's, a, again, a tricky question because I think as a thing in general, uh, we're not a fan or an advocate of any tools that are available on the market, uh, let alone yeah. scanners or, or any security-related automation tools, because it doesn't make sense to us. I mean, as mentioned previously, the nature of the products that we work on are super custom in terms of implementation that it's kind of mandatory to also have a custom approach here to successfully test all features and more importantly, making sure that no stones are left unturned. unturned. So I think tools are, are mostly being used by script kiddies that don't have a proper understanding of what security testing is about, let alone what products are about, what software is about, their architecture, the technologies used, the frameworks, and how it all kind of connects together and how it works under the hood. And mm -hmm. I, we actually have a saying for that. We, we always say a fool with a tool is still a fool. And, 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 it, and it's so right. Uh, so therefore, I think just based on our experience doing this for over 10 years now, we have seen that these type of tools that are out there, they just don't cut it. I mean, you have to you have to have these uh, capabilities and hands-on experience yourself, and you should not be relying on tools that do it for you because they will not do it for you. That's kind of the moral of the story here. And and without delving into specifics, um, I'd love to hear some of your war stories. Like you, you mentioned, that you've got 10, 10 years experience, so you definitely have a few really memorable ones there. Um, could you briefly talk about some of the biggest flaws you've seen that companies still haven't fixed? Huh, that's a that's a tricky question again. Again, if we're talking about the companies still not having them fixed, uh, I wouldn't go there. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's talk about like the, the type of vulnerabilities that that we encountered uh, over the years. Yeah, uh, I think. In general, anything in regards to data compromise is always one of the most critical type of vulnerabilities that we encounter, uh, such as the ability to, for instance, compromise a database, giving us access to all the data that is, for instance, within the game. I mean, it allows us to see player data, sensitive data from credit cards to passwords, even if they're hashed, it doesn't matter. Um, then again, getting access to, for instance, the virtual machine where the server side is running on also gives us full access to everything there and gives us potentially access to the network infrastructure uh, of the party that, that we're working with, which in, in which we then again can start pivoting from one network to the other and start compromising even more products uh, from an architectural point of view. Um, I think vulnerabilities like remote code execution are obviously super, super significant as well in terms of impact, where we are able, for instance, to run code on someone else's device through an exploit on the actual game. We have encountered that many times uh, before. Uh, so yeah, I think I think these are kind of the, the, the most critical type of um, 
vulnerabilities. I mean, again, remote code execution, data compromise, SQL injection, buffer overflow vulnerabilities. There's quite a lot of them. And again, if I want to explain them in depth, then we'll have to go very technical here. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure that if uh, you'd return for a future episode, we could get even get down dirty and get into the nitty gritty of it all. So if if you'd be interested, so <laughs> um, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, no, great. Um, and uh, just just moving on there from that. Um, and are there any major projects Cyrix are currently working on that you can discuss or you'd be happy to talk about? <sighs> Yes, uh, I think I think eighty percent of everything that we're doing is obviously under NDA, or we cannot mention it explicitly. Yeah. So uh, I will not be name dropping any game titles. Uh, as a general thing, uh, we're continuously working on online multiplayer games uh, with a very strong focus on the more AAA games. Working for very very big studios out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of right now, where we're currently pursuing another very big project. Uh, where there's actually a movie made of that game. So Ooh. now they also made uh, an online multiplayer game uh, of that title. Uh, so yeah, that's that's super duper exciting. I think within the blockchain space as well, uh, we're doing loads and loads of different blockchain-based games. Again, mm-hmm. this is basically an online multiplayer game that also leverages these blockchain technologies where you're talking about play-to-earn concepts again, where you're talking about NFTs again, where players are able to trade, sell, buy certain things in-game like weapons or armor or whatever it is basically that that you can achieve and that you can acquire in the game. Um, So yeah, I think there's a lot going on as of today. Uh, So uh, very juicy stuff. Brilliant, brilliant. That's really exciting. And you guys are constantly busy. Um, and you can see as well, just from your portfolio, that like to some of the brands and the companies that you've worked with, like there, there's some really big ones out there um, and you've worked on some really big projects. So if people are interested, they should check them out there. Um, and now that you've spotlighted uh, a lot of these uh, issues that companies would face, and we're hoping that the unaware have become more enlightened about Cyrex and yourself and mm-hmm. what hackers do, uh, where do you see online gaming security evolve over the coming years? Huh. I think I think if we're just looking as of where we are right now and compare it with, for instance, five to ten years ago, mm-hmm. I, th- I think we're doing well in the gaming industry. I mean, where we're starting to pick things up, it definitely took quite a long time if we, for instance, compare it with the financial industry, the banking industry, for instance. I mean, these guys were on top of things a, a lot yeah. sooner than in the gaming industry. And again, it makes it kind of makes sense because I mean we're talking about financials here, uh, but uh, for, for, from what we've experienced in the last five to ten years is that it's been a very slow process, and we've we've been continuously pushing in regards to awareness and, and talking about these security topics, talking about what is happening within the ecosystem of the gaming industry, what are the trends that are going on. So it has been a lot of marketing, uh, if I can put it as such. Uh, in a way, uh, on our side, to really um, kind of create that awareness and, and make clear, like, okay, but what is the importance of security? Like, why should I, as a game developer or a, a game studio or a game uh, publisher, start investing in security specific to my games? So mm-hmm. I think as of today, we're definitely seeing a huge increase in terms of awareness here. Uh, the companies are definitely starting to pick this up and, and have this as a part of the process 
because at the end of the day, this is how it should be. I mean, if you're looking at the entire game development life cycle or the software development life cycle, I mean, there's always going to be QA at the end of the road, right? And yeah. QA, I mean, there, there's a lot of, it comes in a lot of different shapes and forms, but QA also implies security testing and not only identifying bugs and making sure everything is working correctly from a business uh, logic perspective. So yeah, again, I think I think we were doing very well there. I mean, from from the gaming uh, industry perspective, and uh, I hope this, uh, this 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 level of maturity will continue to grow. Yeah, definitely, and it is exciting seeing it like in such an early stage at the moment, and like where ideas are coming from. So. Uh, yeah, it's exciting times. Um, and wrapping up, is there any security advice you can give to our listeners involved in the games industry? Some free <laughs> advice you might want to suggest. <laughs> right. Huh. So it's, it's a, obviously a very high level question. Then again, when we're looking at the security domain, I mean, there are so many aspects and so many different fields within the security domain. So I think, I think if we're looking at game developers themselves, uh, I, I think there, there are more and more resources as of today when it comes to security, both for Unreal Engine, both for Unity, both for, again, custom C++ uh, programming. Uh, I, think, I think my best advice uh, to the developers themselves would be start digging in into how can you securely implement code? Uh, what are the things that you need to consider during the development lifecycle? Um, I, th I think I think th th this is definitely uh, a strong uh, direction to take for developers to also create internal awareness there, uh, which obviously doesn't mean that we should be excluding the penetration testing aspect, because at the end of the day, we're trained uh, to do this. We're trained to find vulnerabilities. We're trained to exploit those vulnerabilities, and more importantly, to offer a level of consultancy, consultancy to mitigate those security flaws. Fantastic. Well, Matt, that's all we have time for, but I, I really, really appreciate you joining me um, on the show and coming on talking all things cybersecurity. We hope that our listeners now feel more secure after your words of wisdom. Um, and if people wanted to contact you, where should they look? You can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm uh, pretty much 24-7 available there. <sighs> Brilliant. And they should also make sure to follow Cyrex as well, obviously. <laughs> 100%. Thank yeah. you very much, Josh. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that was another fantastic episode. Another big thanks to Matt from Cyrex for joining us on the podcast. We hope you found this both informative and entertaining. Be sure to catch up with our previous episode, which is available on all your favourite podcast platforms, including Buzzsprout and Spotify. And don't forget to stay tuned for next month's episode. We'll be sharing more information over the coming weeks on social media, so be sure to give us a like, share, and most importantly, a listen. <laughs>